All right, so tonight we will be in Judges chapter 6, and we'll be starting in verse 11, going all the way through verse 24. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If I have now found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from the ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out of the tip, reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprung up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizarites. And tonight uh, I've titled this teaching, Paradoxology. And um, it, this text it can be broken up in to three sections. The first section is verses 11 through 16, and that's Gideon's call from the Lord. And then verses 17 through 21, which is Gideon's assurance. And then verses 22 through 24, which is Gideon's praise. And by way of reminder, this judges cycle that we see throughout the entire book is idolatry, judgment, rescue, and repeat. And this part of the cycle is the rescue section. As Caleb taught last week Israel's judgment in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 6. Um, now it is the rescue of that judgment that was brought upon Israel. And in this first section, Gideon's call, it gives us all we need to know about who Gideon is for the rest of the Gideon narrative in Judges, which is the next three chapters of the book. It's one of the largest sections on a single judge in the entire book. And the text says that Gideon is a hard worker, verses 11 and 12. It says that Gideon is fearful of the Midianites in verse 11. It says that Gideon is in the weakest clan in Manasseh and that Gideon is his father's youngest or least child. And those are in verse 15. However, the most important thing we can know in all of this Gideon narrative um, is that Gideon is called by God. And that's the most significant thing that works through the entirety of this passage and the rest of the Gideon narratives in the book of Judges. Before we get into that, I want to bring to light the paradoxes that are in this text, which calls for the title of this teaching, 
um, that in the midst of these paradoxes, God is able to work and it leads Gideon to praise him at the very end of it all. So the first paradox, which we'll see a little bit more in depth in a couple of minutes, is that Gideon is beating wheat in the wine press, which typically wine is made in the wine press and wheat on the threshing floor. And so that itself is the first paradox. The second is Gideon's inadequacy versus the call that he has had placed on his life. And the third paradox is that Gideon asks for assurance in verse 16, but when God gives him assurance, it terrifies him rather than fortifies him. Uh, and despite all this, Gideon's final response uh, is by building an altar and worshiping God. So starting in verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And this angel is significant. In Hebrew, the same word is used for messenger and prophet and angel. And in the text just above, it was used as prophet. And so for it to be used here as angel is significant to the person of um, the messenger who's speaking to Gideon in this passage. And we see that it says he sat under the terebinth, or the terebinth and some translations just render as tree. All terebinth is is a bushy tree. And so it might be confusing. It might seem significant. It's not significant. It's just a bushy tree. Um, so I thought it might be something, a nice insight to look into. And uh, it wasn't. So just, just for that little bit of knowledge. Um, but this first verse is where we have our first paradox in that Gideon is beating out wheat in the wine press, not on the threshing floor. And we want to ask, why would he be doing this in the wine press, not on the threshing floor? And it says right in verse 11, it is to hide it from the Midianites. And if you look up earlier in chapter 6 of verse 4, it says, They, the Midianites, would encamp against them, the Israelites, and devour the produce of the land. And so Gideon is hiding this wheat that he is threshing down in the wine press. Typically, wine presses were surrounded sometimes by a stone wall or just down deep into the land and the threshing floor is out in the middle of the field and the pasture for all to see. So Gideon was protecting the crop and the produce that he had because he was afraid that the Midianites would come and ravage their produce. Um, and then if you continue on into verse 12, uh, it reads, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And this is God pronouncing Gideon as one who is mighty enough to take on the task that is at hand. If we see later in verse 15, Gideon describes his weaknesses and his, and his inadequacy. But from the very beginning, this angel of the Lord tells Gideon that the Lord is with him and that he is a mighty man of valor or a mighty warrior um, worthy of this task that is at hand. If you keep reading into verse 13, it says, And Gideon said to them, Please, said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. And this question that he asks can be seen as either a doubtful question or an inquisitive question, asking why it is like this now for Israel when the Lord says he is, he is with them. He's promised Gideon that his, he is with Gideon and they are being ravaged by the Midianites. When the Lord has promised Moses, the Lord has promised Joshua, he is with them. They have this great victory and they get to the promised land. And now he sees that these are the stories of his fathers, that when the Lord was with them, they had this great success. And now the Lord says he is with them and they are being <coughs> just devoured. All their crops are being devoured. They're just being overtaken by the Midianites. And um, this, this question 
some commentators land differently. Some say it is a question of doubt. Some say it is a question of just being inquisitive and asking God. Um, this can be compared to Luke chapter 1, which we've already studied as a church, when Zechariah asked a question to the angel Gabriel, and it is deemed that it is unfaithful, the question that he asked, or when Mary responds with a question and is deemed as good faith that she had asked the question. Or in Genesis, when Abraham laughs when he is promised his son Isaac, and then Sarah laughs and when she is promised the same son. And it says, some say that Sarah's laugh is one of doubt and Abraham's is one of faith. And so there's often this contextually questions are asked and you have to figure out, is this a doubtful question or inquisitive? And it, it depends on the heart posture of the person asking. So it depends on Gideon's heart posture and the rest of his passage as to whether he is doubting God's promise or whether he is just inquisitive to know more about it. Reading on in verse 14, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? This is the Lord saying, Do I not send you? Do you not trust me? Do you not trust Yahweh? When the very first thing that the angel of the Lord said to him is that the Lord is with you, and the Lord is saying, Do not trust me. So this could be an argument for that it is a doubting question that Gideon asks of the Lord previously in the passage. And then continuing on in verse 15, we have the second paradox. And it says, And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And Gideon just continues to describe his weaknesses, uh, failing to remember that he has the biggest strength with him, and that Yahweh has already promised that he will be with him. That is all the strength that he needs to be faithful to this calling God has placed on his life. And this is the same promise that God has set on Moses and on Joshua, saying that I will be with you when he gives them a great calling. And Gideon still is describing the weaknesses that he is not able to fulfill this calling when God has given him all that he needs to fulfill that calling. And God is always faithful to his promises as he is faithful to his promise. Um, good to the deliverance of Moses and Joshua, and it will be good for the deliverance of Gideon and the Israelites as well. God always places his adequacy on his people's inadequacy and gives them great sufficiency for whatever task he places in their life. If you read with me in verse 16, it says, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. He reminds him again, I will be with you. Yahweh is with Gideon in this. And this is the final verse in the section of Gideon's call. And God has sealed the deal with him before he has even attempted to deliver Israel. By guaranteeing, the Gideon, by guaranteeing to Gideon that Yahweh will be with him, it is a guarantee that Gideon will be victorious in the deliverance of Israel. Verses 17 and 18 say, And he said to him, if, I, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. And this is a similar posture of the question that Gideon poses previously. And so again, we ask, is this him being doubtful or is he just asking the Lord to assure him in this? A few months ago, if I would have asked this question or thought of this question, I would have said without a doubt, Gideon is being doubtful and doubting the Lord and doubting his promises. And it's similar to a response that King Ahab has in 1 Kings 20 and that he had just asked the Lord to prove his promise, to give him assurance of his promise. And I uh, chose to write in a seminary paper all about Ahab's doubt and how doubtful he was, how lack of faith he was. And uh, my professor says, I'm not sure, can he ask for divine direction? 
and I didn't do very well on that paper because <laughs> people and God gives his people the ability to ask him for divine direction. It is not always a question of doubt. There can be questions of assurance from the Lord. And just as Gideon might need help in his assurance of God's promises, we too can request help of God for assurance in the promises he promises to us as well. Verses 19 and 20 say, So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on the rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. This is Gideon's preparation and presentation of this offering, of this gift. This is um, a unique offering and gift. There's nothing in the sacrificial system that encourages this type of presentation before an angel of the Lord. Uh, is just Gideon going out of his way to make this gift, this present, um, to present it to the angel of the Lord to receive assurance from God. And he receives that assurance. In verse 21, it says, The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So Yahweh's response through the angel of the Lord is an all-consuming fire of the offering that Gideon presents to him. And this is when Gideon responds in terror rather than being assured of the promise. And Gideon responds in verse 22, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And originally, if you just read this statement from Gideon, it doesn't seem like it's one of great terror. It seems like he's assured and confident in the message he has received from the angel. But we know that it is terror based off of the next response from the Lord saying, But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Assuring Gideon that this is the assurance that he was looking for in the promise that he's not going to die, this fire is not going to consume him, but God is going to be faithful to the promise he has already made to Gideon. And in this final verse is Gideon's response of praise to God. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizarites. And this is his response of praise, turning all these paradoxes into praise to the end, thus making the paradoxology of this entire passage. Um, but God's promise of peace is a direct result of what was first said to Gideon in this entire passage, that the Lord is with him. And that is God's guarantee to peace of all his people in the Exodus and getting to the promised land and Gideon now as he promises that he will be with them. That is the peace that Gideon receives in this pursuit of this calling that he feels inadequate for, that the Lord is with him. He says, he worships the Lord and says, the Lord is peace. And God could promise peace to his people because he can promise his presence to his people. And through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and even now, Christ comes and he has come as the Prince of Peace because of the very presence of God as Christ that can make that claim. And we can have peace as believers because God guarantees his Holy Spirit to us. Just as God's presence gave Gideon victory, we can have victory over death in this life if we have Christ in us as Christ has already conquered death for us. And the Bible as a whole is full of paradoxes all over the place. Right now we're in Luke 6 and actually if you all turn with me to Luke 6, we can read of some of these paradoxical ideas that are in scripture starting in verse 20. We'll just go through 25 says 
And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did at the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And all these paradoxes are opposite of what most people would think. But in Scripture, they're just biblical principles of an upside-down kingdom that God presents for His people and that servant leadership is the way to God and is a demonstration of Christ on the cross is serving and giving up his life for the sake of people, not as a normal leader seeks to climb to the top and be king of all kings and reign and have everybody look towards him. Christ exists to, to serve his people. So the scripture is full of these paradoxes. One of the greatest paradoxical truths that we see in scripture is what Paul says in Second Corinthians. He says, what the Lord has spoken to him is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this is exactly what Gideon experienced in this passage. And this is what was true then. It was true for Moses and Joshua. It was true for Gideon. It was true for David and his kingship. It was true for Paul when God spoke it to him. It's true for all of us that the Lord's power is made perfect in our weakness through the cross of Christ. That preaching Christ crucified is admitting our own weakness before a holy God and knowing that he stood in that place for us on the cross and took a death that was what we deserved and because of that, that is our weakness that Christ then conquered the grave and showed us what true forgiveness of sin is and that no matter what our sin is in our life, what our weakness is, that His power is made perfect in our weakness when we are a follower of Christ. And so that is just a great biblical truth that has existed for all time that we get to see here in Judges, we get to see in the New Testament, and it just has existed for all of church history up until now and will always exist until the Lord comes again, is that His power is made perfect in our weakness. And his power is made perfect in Gideon's weakness in delivering Israel from the hands of the Midianites, and His power is made perfect in our weakness today as followers of Christ.